Greetings and welcome back to The Dive, the weekly podcast series in which we take an in-depth look, in-depth look at passages that were covered in the previous week's Dafyomi selection. Uh, and this uh, podcast will be the first of a series of two or three podcasts on a very naughty topic, uh, K-N-O-T-T-Y that is, um, that really occupies a lot of our attention in Hilchot Shabbat and in other areas of Halakha, and whose main sugya in the Talmud Bavli is at the end of the second parak, which we covered last week, at the end of Bamem Madlikin. Uh, the topic is Bein Hashmashot, uh, we might call twilight, perhaps, uh, and the topic uh, divides really into uh, three sections. The uh, first section is to define how we treat Bein Hashmashot, uh, how we behave during Bein Hashmashot, and what are the, what are the uh, implications of, of things that happen or that we do during Bein Hashmashot. The second thing is the critical definition of when Bein Hashmashot is, both when it begins and when it ends, and the different opinions there and what those opinions are anchored in. And the third is the treatment of the issue in Psak Halacha, uh, starting really from the Gonim and going to the Rambam and Rabbeinu Tam and the Volnigon and to uh, contemporary authorities as well. Uh, what we're going to do in this first podcast is to look at the sugya itself in Bamem Adlikin, a parallel sugya at the beginning of Masechet Brachot in the Yushalmi, and we're going to first take a look at several Tanaitic sources that uh, invoke Ben Hashmashot and that sort of raise it in our, in our awareness um, as a special halachic time. Uh, and so that'll be our, our focus for this session, and you find the material on, uh, on pages one and two of the handout. As you can see, almost all of the first sources are in blue. That's the color that I just regularly use for coding. Tanaitic material, because you see the first one is a Mishnah, the third one is a Mishnah also, the second one is a Tosefta, and the fourth one is our passage from the Gemara, but it starts by quoting a Breita, and thus um, all of the blue. And then I'll explain a little bit about the coding as we go ahead, but we covered a lot of that in the last two sessions uh, on the topic of Hanukkah. Okay, the uh, first Mishnah that we're going to deal with is our Mishnah. And just a little bit about terminology. We always try to, as much as possible, discuss methodology and skills uh, in the Shi'ur. Um, that uh, in just the way that we speak colloquially, both in the yeshiva in Hebrew and in the yeshivot in Europe in Yiddish, and the way we speak about it in English, we adopt the linguistic orientation of the Gemara itself. And in the Gemara, they speak about here and there, our Mishnah and that Mishnah. And the notion is that there is a home topic that begins a discussion, and then we bring in outside sources, ancillary sources, external sources, extrinsic sources that are all considered to be there, as opposed to here. So the terms hacha and hatam, or for instance, matnitin, our Mishnah, as opposed to, let's say, tanabra, the tanum taught the outside teaching. All right, so we're going to start with our Mishnah, which is the focal point for the discussion. And that is the last Mishnah in the second parak. It's source one. That section, as you can see from the smaller font, is not uh, core to what we're doing. And here's the part that is core. If it's unclear, and that's going to be the key word throughout the entire sugya, if it's unclear or there's a doubt whether it's dark or not, you have to see what that means. We may not take ma'asrot from tevel, meaning food, uh, produce in Eretz Yisrael that we have uh, purchased or harvested and that we know has not had tithes taken from it. We may not tithe it. You cannot take kelim and put them into the mikveh. You cannot light candles. What you may do during that time which you may not do later when it's certainly dark on Friday night, is to take maaser from demai. Demai is uh, something we discussed it actually in the Hanukkah sugya. Demai is uh, produce that's purchased from an Am Haaretz, and therefore 
there's a possibility that masrot have not been taken, even though he says that they that they have, and therefore we have to take certain masrot uh, without a bracha, and we could do that by nashmashot ma'arvin. You could set up an eruv. The eruv here is likely eruv chatzerot, um, and tomnina tachamin. We could take hot food and we can um, we can bury it, Jewish you say, or or, or insulate it. Uh, during this time of Ben Hashmashot, these are all things that we cannot do later. So just a couple of prefatory remarks about that to put it into context. Uh, taking Ma'asrot or Tvilat Kelim is a violation of what we call Tikkun Kli, to make something perfected, to finish something. It is a subset of what we refer to as Makeve Patish. We talked about this in our opening shiur on Masachat Shabbat. And therefore, taking a kli that you purchased, that you could use, except that you have to go to the mikvah, take it to the mikvah, you can't put it in the mikvah on Shabbat because then you make it usable. Having fruit that you cannot eat because you're not separated trumot masrot, separating trumot masrot makes them edible. Now, madlikina tanirot is a clear violation of lighting a flame on Shabbat. However, masrina tadmai, we're allowed to do that, and that may be because in the case of Demai, the food technically could have been eaten. Uh, Admai can be fed, for instance, to the poor, uh, because for the most part, we're pretty convinced that Masrot were taken. And as a result of that, theoretically, any person could declare himself to be propertyless at any point and become an Ani and be able to eat Demai. Therefore, it, you're not really fixing something that's otherwise inaccessible to you. Me'arvin probably refers to Eruv Chatzerot, in which you are a co-owner of a courtyard with uh, other households in the courtyard, and the common area is rabbinically prohibited uh, from carrying, uh, and therefore, in order to be able to carry in the common area or to and from one house to the other, uh, we make the Eruv Chatzerot. That's, of course, what we have in our neighborhoods and in our cities. Uh, and that is all dirabanan because on a right to level, this area which is fenced in and is privately owned, although it's privately owned by in separate individuals and then by a, a bunch of individuals in the common area, is rabbinically f- forbidden. But right there, you're allowed to carry there. And tomnin tachamin, and that's something that we discussed in the previous uh, in in the previous sugya that's discussed here about why we are forbidden from insulating food. Once Shabbat has started, but this we're allowed to do before Shabbat starts. Okay, now there is a Tosefta, a parallel Tosefta to this, source two, which will expand a little bit and give us some uh, some breadth there. Now this is a very helpful piece to understanding some of the broader issues of Benashmashot. And as I said in the introduction to the Shiur, Ben Hashmashot does not just impact on Shabbat, it impacts on, on other areas of halacha, and right away we see one. So here we see a statement of the Chachamim, which is that if you have a kli, it's not a kli that you bought new, like the Tefilat Kelim that we're familiar with, but rather a kli that became Tamei, and it became Tamei because of an Av Hatumah. For instance, somebody came from a funeral, they had touched a dead body, and then, <coughs> and then they uh, touched a kli, the kli is now a rishon, and uh, you're not allowed to be matbilid bein hashmashot. Uh, Rabbi Shimon Shizuri says, even during the week you can't do it bein hashmashot. Why? You have to remember that for something to become tahor, it has to go through the process of tahara, which is the mikvah, and herev shemesh, the sun setting. So for instance, a person is tameh, and they're on their last day of tumah, or in most cases, their one day of tumah, uh, they go to the mikvah during the day at some point. Uh, somebody touched a dead sheret. So they go to the mikvah during the day and they wait. And after nightfall, they could uh, resume eating chumaf, or kohen, for instance, or uh, a return to the mikdash, etc., after nightfall. <clears throat> so Rabbi Shimon Shazuri says you can't take a kli and put it into the mikvah ben Hashmashot because then it's possible, at least, that the sun already set and or nightfall happened or however we're going to define it which means that you will wrongly think that you yet have sunset a few minutes later or the end of the day a few minutes later and then you use that clee later on where really you need to wait about 24 hours so therefore he says not to do it now 
And then the Brighta goes on to say that if the Tum'ah happened because of a Vlad HaTum'ah, so again, let's say that I touched a dead Sheretz, that makes me a Vlad HaTum'ah, because a dead Sheretz is the Ava Tum'ah. So I'm a Vlad HaTum'ah, and then I touch a Kli, then you could put it into the mikvah Bein Hashmashot. Okay, here we go. Klal Amar Rabbi Shimon Ben Elazar. So Rabbi Shimon Elazar gives us the following rule that seems to come from here. All right, so again, as we saw in the Mishnah, is really about a prohibition of doing things which will really accomplish. So therefore, taking Trumotumasot from Vada'i, you can't do, but from Dabai is okay, because you're not really accomplishing anything. That's, that's absolutely vital. So Shimon Elazar gives a rule, and the rule is, meaning, any Tum'ah, that if you were to then walk into the Mikdash, you would be liable for karet, and if you did it inadvertently, you'd be chayav chatat, then Then we don't do it during ben hashmashot. Meaning, here, this tumah of the ava tumah is something that would cause karet if we were to violate tumah, and therefore you're removing that tumah by taking it to the mikvah, and the inverse. And therefore, if it's nitma bivlana tuma, you could put it in the mikvah because you're not really accomplishing anything because let's say you were to not be matahir that kli, and you were to touch that kli and then go into the beta into the azara, you wouldn't be chayiv because you're not tamedo raita. And therefore you're not accomplishing that. And that's one way to read that line in the Sosefta. The other way to read the line in the Sosefta is something that has nothing to do with tumat. And that is, anything that is a full Torah liability for Shabbat, you're not allowed to do Ben Hashmashot. But anything that's not, you're allowed to do Ben Hashmashot. Two different ways to read it. Now, the reason that I'm arguing in favor of the first way is because of the context of the Tosefta. Now, let's take a look at the next Mishnah before we get to our Sugyan. It's a Mishnah in Masachet Zavim. Masachet Zavim uh, is a, a relatively short Masachet that deals with the laws of Ziva which is um, both for men and for women, um, unhealthy you know, sexual emissions. Um, and, um, and the rules are different between a man and woman, that for a man, typically it's going to be three riot, meaning three different emissions will make them, two emissions will make him tamay, and the third will, make, will mean that he is now has to bring a korban after seven clean days. Two, he has to wait seven clean days and, and continue. Three, he has to bring a korban after seven clean days and then, uh, and then be able to, to rejoin the fraternity and participate in the Beit HaMikdash, etc. Now, watch this. Ra'achat, it's different for a woman. A woman has to be three days. So even if she sees multiple times in one day, it only counts in one day. Ra'achatayom, we're talking about a guy. Ra'achatayom, v'achat ben ashmashot. Let's say a guy saw one ri'iyah today. And then he saw another one, Ben Ashmashot. Achat Ben Ashmashot v'achat l'machar. Or he saw one during Ben Ashmashot and one later that night or on the next day. Im Let's say that he knew for sure that some of that emission happened during the day and some day, some was the next day. Vaday l'korban l'tumah. This is a new halacha, something I didn't mention in the intro, which is even though I, we mentioned that each ri'iyah counts, if a man has a ri'iyah that stretches over two days, then it counts for two. So if a guy saw during the day and banish mashot and at night, so he said if for sure he knows that he, the part of the ri'iyah, the first one was during the day, and then the next one was, um, was, was the next day, meaning the same ri'iyah was divided into two, then he's already tamay as if he saw two. He might have to bring a korban. Let's say that he saw two days in a row during Ben Hashmashot. Now he's a safek tuma, safek korban. He saw two, but they might both have been, uh, he saw two riyot, but um, since it's possible that he saw them over the course of three days, he might be chayab a korban. If he saw one during Ben Hashmashot, he might, he might be Tamei. Why would he be Tamei? Because maybe that's daytime, maybe that's nighttime, maybe part, part. 
Which leads us to the following conclusion, which is the beginning of our sugyat, right? And so um, we're actually going to come back a little bit to this, to the Mishnah and Zavim uh, in our Gemara. And so we'll be able to look at it more in detail. But what we see from the sources before we get into the Gemara is that, first of all, how do we deal with Ben Hashmashot? Ben Hashmashot is dealt with as a time of doubt. It means that, um, that when Shabbat is entering and it is Ben Hashmashot, it's unclear if it's fully Shabbat yet. Uh, we said at this point, we did not talk about liability, but we just talked about permissibility. You're allowed to do things which are seemingly things that are either prohibited to Rabbanan or things which don't accomplish vital needs as opposed to things that do, which you're not allowed to do from the minute that it's possibly Shabbat. And then we said in the laws of Zav that if somebody sees Ziva during Ben Hashmashot, they may have seen it over the course of two days. So that Ben Hashmashot seems to stretch this safek. And now we're going to get into the details in our Gemara. Let's take a look. Tana Rabbanan. So our Gemara begins with a, uh, a brighta. Ben Hashmashot, safek minayom umin halayla. So Ben Hashmashot is defined as being possibly day or night. Safek minayom minayom, meaning the moments of, of Ben Hashmashot are maybe day, maybe night. Safek kulo minayom, it could be that the entire period is daytime. Safek kulo minayom, it could be that the entire period is nighttime. Now, before going further, we have to examine. I mean, don't we know when day and night is? I mean, don't we look outside and see it's dark, or look outside and see it's light, or that the sun is still out? What we're dealing with here is the exact problem of twilight is what's the exact moment at which day becomes night? And so here the bright is telling us that it's more complex than that. It's not a question of just defining a moment. It's saying, I have this period somewhere between, right now we'll just generously call it between sunset and dark. I don't know how long that is. I don't know if it's exactly sunset. I don't know exactly what dark is, but somewhere in that period. And my approach is going to be that that entire period is Question, every minute of that period is maybe day, maybe night. It's possible that the entire period is day. It's impossible that the entire period is night. And so therefore, what do we do? Matilin oto lechomer shnei We treat it um, severely, like both days, which means <coughs> we cover ourselves in both directions. And think about it in practice. We start Shabbat before sunset, and we end Shabbat the next day after dark. Okay, so that's the first piece of this bright uh basically summarizes, in a nutshell, what we saw in the three Tanaitic selections before, which is that we treat it l'chumra, as if it may be day, may be night. Uh, and then we saw what we did in the Mishnah about, um, about things that are prohibited only Durabanan. Now, ve'ezu ben ashmashot. Now, the second issue I mentioned is when is ben ashmashot. Which to us would seem like a very simple definition from the time that the sun sets. Not so simple, but we'll leave it at sunset for right now. As long as the eastern sky, remember the sun, the sun sets in the west, as long as the eastern sky is still reddish. We're going to take all of this language apart. If the lower horizon, gets silvery, which means darkish, but not the upper one, then Bein Hashmashot, right? Now we have to think, what direction are we looking now? That's called Bein Hashmashot during that time. When the upper sky goes silvery and is now the same color as the horizon, that's Rabbi Yehuda. So Rabbi Yehuda in this Brita gives a definition of sunset through night as being based purely on a visual experience of the colors of the sky. Now, He uses a different mode, which is a pure time mode, but it sounds strange to us because we speak about time in terms of hours, minutes, and seconds. In Chazal's time, they referred to time chiefly by distance, meaning the amount of time it takes to walk a certain distance that time is referred to as that distance. And therefore he said, how long is Ben Hashmashot? From sunset, the amount of time it takes to walk half a mile. And generally we assume, and we're going to use this uh, throughout the sugya as the working uh, theory, is that walking a meal takes 18 minutes. So chatzimil is nine minutes. That means from sunset until night is nine minutes. 
according to Rabbi Nechemia. We'll see something more about that later on. Rabbi Yossi Omer, he disagrees, and he says, is like the winking of an eye. This comes in, this goes out, and you can't even pinpoint it, which means, he says, there is no stretch of time called Rabbi Yehuda gave a stretch of time that was based on the colors changing in the sky. Rabbi Nechemia gave a stretch of time of nine minutes. And Rabbi Yossi says, there is no stretch of time. At one particular point, after sunset, it flashed, becomes night. It was day and then night. And there's no moment of time that's night and day or unclear. Of course, Rabbi Yossi doesn't tell us when that is. When is that flash of moment? So those are the three opinions about the when. And remember I said in the beginning of the shiur that two of the three issues we have to deal with are how do we treat Ben Hashmashot and when is Ben Hashmashot. And the third issue is really a subset of the second, uh, which is the development of a psak uh, halacha and the impact of astronomy on psak halacha and our understanding of orbits, etc., um, on psak halacha of the when question. Okay, now let's take a look at this bright. Amar Mark. Matilino to lechomer shnei amim. Now you notice I put this in blue because this is a quote from the Breita. Now just an introduction. Amar Mar, the master said, is a way the Gemara uses, um, uh, introduces a quote from an earlier statement that was invoked that they now would like to analyze and focus on the analysis of just that phrase. We brought the whole Breita, and now we're going to take it apart piece by piece. So matilino to lechomer shnei amim. So the first thing is that it said. Ben Hashmashot is treated how? We treat it severely like both days, which means we treat it like it might be this day and like it might be that day. So the Gemara asks, for what purpose? Now, there's a critical thing to note. I'll take a moment here to point this out. The Gemara is essentially, and it sounds counterintuitive, the Gemara is essentially not interested in theory. The Gemara is interested in practice. And that's why if a theoretical a balloon is thrown up the uh, to see how we would analyze a particular halachic topic or halachic position, the first question is always asked is the minaf gemina. What's the difference between if we look at it this way or look at it that way? What's the practical difference? And therefore here they say, what's the practical difference of saying, the practical implication of saying that we look at this day severely this way and severely that way? The answer is for Tumah that we do that. And they quote our Mishnah in Zavim. In other words, if a person had one Re'iyah, remember, according to the Halacha, if a person starts having an emission a minute before sunset and it lasts for an hour, that's called two. Even though it's one emission, since it went over certainly two days, it's called two. And we said now that if a person saw one emission during Ben Hashmashot, we treat it as if he may have seen it two days and he may be Tamei. He may be Tamei. Okay, good. Now, Hagufakasha, now let's take a look at the next line in the bright up. We said there's an inherent contradiction. Why is that? Amarta Ezehu Ben Hashmashot. What was the first line of the definition? When is Ben Hashmashot? This is Rabbi Yehuda's. Uh, the minute the sun sets, as long as the eastern sky is still reddish, what do we infer from there? Which means that the minute that the horizon goes silvery, which means no longer reddish, we assume the eastern horizon. Lailahu. So it's already Laila. In other words, we said Benash Mashot is from sunset as long as the eastern sky is reddish. But uh, is the eastern sky really reddish at sunset? We have to think about that. Uh, and so therefore, the minute that the eastern sky is no longer reddish, it should be night. And then, we said, we said when the lower, when the horizon is silvery, but the upper is not yet silvery, then it's Ben Hashmashot. So which is it? So we have two different approaches to how to resolve this seeming contradiction. And we'll take a look at the names, and I've cha- changed the colors here. Amar Rabba, Amar Rav, Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Kroch Vitani, and now skip two lines, I want to show you this. Rav Yosef, Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Hachitani. 
So in other words, Shmuel solved it. Who quoted Shmuel? Rav Yehuda quoted Shmuel. Rav Yehuda was the great Rosh Hashiva, second generation in Pumbadita. Rav Yehuda had two great students who, when Rav Yehuda passed away, you may remember the story, were the two candidates to take over as Rosh Hashiva of Pumbadita. One was Rabbah, Rabbah Barnachmani, and the other was Rav Yosef. Right? So Rabbah and Rav Yosef disagreed about what they heard when Rav Yehuda quoted Shmuel with the solution. So here are the two, the two resolutions, the two possible resolutions. Resolution number one, Rabbah's version. It's not Rabbah's resolution, it's Rabbah's version of Shmuel's resolution. Kroch Vitani. Kroch is a word we should be familiar with from very recently. We just had the Pesach Seder. Korech is to make a sandwich. Kroch means push them together, double them up. And he's now, and I, I, put, I did, I put this in, in the same font as the bright with a highlight. This is not what it says, but this is how we, sh- how we should read it, how we should understand it. Ezu ben Ashmashot, Mishtishka Chama, Kozman Mizrach Ma'adimin. Now, a helpful exercise would be to compare the highlighted version with the version that's not highlighted, the original version, and see what it is that Shmuel adjusted in this version and what it is that Shmuel adjusted in the next version. Okay. Ezu ben Ashmashot. Now what is Benashmashot? From the time that the sun sets, as long as the eastern sky is reddish, even when the horizon goes silver, as long as the upper sky is not silver, it's still Benashmashot. But the minute that the uh, that's, that the sky goes silver, the same color as the horizon, then it's Lila. That's version one. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehud, Amr Shmuel, Achitani says, no, I have a different version. Now, this is very different. It says, the minute the sun sets, as long as the eastern sky is still red, it's daytime, which means according to Rav Yosef's version, sunset's not the end of the day. And even after the sun sets, as long as there's still some reddish in the sky, then uh, it's daytime. The rest of this is very easy now. The minute that the eastern horizon goes silver, but not the upper sky, then it's and the minute that they're both silver and then they're lila. So notice the difference. How do each one of them, their versions, adjust the brighta? By the way, both of them agree that brighta needs adjustment. So according to Rabbah, the adjustment was to just extend the first time slot, extends through the second time slot. According to Rav Yosef's version, the first time slot shouldn't be considered Benashmashot. It's still Yom until the horizon goes silver. Okay, V'azdu tamayhu. And they are being consistent with their own positions. And this is something that we always like to see, that we've got, we've got our, an accurate report because the Chachamim are being consistent with their own positions, and therefore we know that this is what they said. Why, Dietmar? We have the following. Shur ben Hashmashot b'chama. How long is ben Hashmashot? Amar Rabba, Amar Yehud, Amar Shmuel. This is Rabba. Shtosha chelke mil. Three parts of a meal. Remember, meal is 18 minutes, Right? So three parts of that. Now, parenthetically, we ask, What does that mean? If you think it means three halves, name a mil Let him say a mil and a half. Twenty. Uh, that'd be uh, how do you call it? Twenty-seven minutes. Must be three thirds. Well, then name a mil. So say a mil. It must mean three parts. Must mean three quarters of a mil. That would be thirteen and a half minutes. So according to Rabbah then, Benash Mashot lasts for 13 and a half minutes. That's a few minutes more than Rabbi Nechemia's version. Rabbi Yosef, what did Rabbi Yosef say? Shnechel Kemil. He says it's two parts of a meal. And we have the same analysis. My Shnechel Kemil, what does that mean, two parts of a meal? Ilema Trey Palgemil, if you think it means two abs, lema meal. That's to say a meal. Ela Trey Riva Mil, I'm saying two quarters, lema Chatsi Mil, it's a half a meal. It must be two-thirds of a meal. Now, what's the difference between two-thirds and three-quarters? The answer is one-twelfth. Half of a sixth. In other words, a twelfth. So the difference is, notice, 
that Rabbah thinks that Ben Hashmashot lasts um, uh, for 13 and a half minutes, and Shmua and, and Rav Yosef thinks that Ben Hashmashot lasts for 12 minutes. So a difference of a minute and a half, which is one twelfth of 18 minutes. Works perfectly. And so the assumption of the Gemara is that they agree on when the end point is. And what are they disagreeing about? When the beginning point is. If the end point is, we'll call it 7 o'clock. Let's say 7 o'clock is Laila. Then according to Rabbah, the day ended at uh, 6.46 and a half. And according to, um, to Rav Yosef, it ended at 6.48. So what's the difference between that minute and a half? The minute and a half is sunset. In other words, according to Rav Yosef, even after sunset, it's still day until it starts going silver. And so that difference of one-twelfth of a mil, a minute and a half, will be the difference between Rabbah and Rav Yosef, and everybody's being consistent. It's beautiful. And we're going to skip the next piece because it's, it's about Shur and about Rabbah and Rav Yosef having a disagreement that has nothing to do with our issue. And now we hear a story. Abaye chazi l'rava de ma'arav. So Abaye saw Rava looking towards the west, evidently trying to discern about nighttime. But Abai said, doesn't the bright to say the eastern sky? That's what I mentioned in the beginning. The eastern sky is quite dark by the time that this happens. So Rava turns to Abai and says, you think that it means the eastern sky? It means the sky that reddens the east. In other words, it's the west, which means we have to go back we're not going to do it ourselves. We go back to the Brita, and every time it talks about Pnei Mizrach, it really means Pnei Ma'arav. And by the way, this makes a lot more sense to us, that when you look at sunset here in California, very easy on days that we can go out and go to the beach and stand there at sunset and see how beautiful it is, and the sun sinks below the horizon, and we see that there's this reddish hue across the western horizon for a number of minutes, and then it starts to go silvery. And that's exactly what's being described here. And so Rava fixes our, our, our way of understanding, which is based on a straight read, and that was the Abai read it, uh, that the bright is referring to the western horizon. Ikadamri, there's another version of this, Rava Chazi Mizrach, that Rava saw Abaye facing the Mizrach. Amarle, Mizrach, Mizrach. Right, which means either way, Rava corrected Abaye's misunderstanding. Rava was looking at the west or else Abai was looking at the east. Either way, Rava corrected that Abai that you have to be looking at the west. It's the western sky. Okay. So, so far, we're very clear on it. And we have Rabbi Huda's opinion seemingly down pat. We've got it understood. And we can see that there's two different versions of it with a slight difference between them of really a question of does, does sunset really signal the end of the day of Vadayom or is it possibly still fully day for a minute and a half after sunset? Now, Rabbi Nechem Yomer, Rabbi Nechemi's opinion was half a mil. Amar Rabbi Chanina, interesting statement. So let's say somebody wants to know how long that's supposed to take. He should go to the top of the Carmel Mountain, Haifa. And when the sun is setting, he should walk down, go into the Mediterranean, Come out, which of course is, is extremely inexact. But to say that here's a way of measuring, if you don't know what a chatzim meal is, then here's a way to do it. Start at the top of the Carmel, wait until the sun has set. When the sun is, when the, as the sun sets, start walking down to the Mediterranean. Evidently, there was a road that they knew. We're going to see about that in Yushalmi. Go into the Mediterranean, come out. By the time you come out, that's the chatzim meal, which means you can now look at the visual angle of how dark it is on a clear day and the visual sense of how dark it is on day and know that that's Lila according to Rabbi Nechemia. Okay, good. That's our analysis of it. And now we're going to see some practical applications take us to the end of the Sukiya, and then we're going to come back to another piece of analysis. By the way, You'll notice that in all of the direct, all of the positions that we've seen so far, the period between sunset and nightfall is relatively short. Nobody has it being over 20 minutes here. 
right, and and some significantly less. So we have to see how we get from there to the, our practice. Another thing to take into account is, of course, this is all um, Israel and a slightly higher latitude, uh, latitude which is uh, which is uh, Bavel, but not by much. The question is, how do you deal with this in Northern Europe? How do you deal with this in uh, in New York or Boston? How do you deal with this in Los Angeles? Uh, is it going to be all the same, or is it going to change based on distance from the equator? Okay, I'm Rabbi Yehuda Rashmuel. Now, remember, as I said before, when you go to the mikvah, you have to go to the mikvah during the day, and then nightfall, whatever nightfall means, happens, then you're tahor. So Shmuel said this strange, seemingly strange thing. It's almost like a koan. He said, Ben Hashmashot of Rabbi Yehuda, the koanim can go to the mikvah during that time. So Laman, our question is, according to whom? Elam of the Rabbi Yehuda, if you think Rabbi Yehuda himself would say you can go to the mikvah during what I consider Ben Hashmashot, those first 13 and a half or 12 minutes after sunset, so Sfekahu, that's a time as we defined it as Safek. We said that that's what a Safek is. What it means is, remember Rabbi Yossi's opinion? Rabbi Yossi's opinion is that Ben Hashmashot is a half a second, it's a split second. There's no real time to it. So he says, according to Rabbi Yossi, you can go to the mikvah during Rabbi Yehuda's Ben Hashmashot. So Pshita, that's easy. Right? Because according to Rabbi Yossi, it's still daytime. Maybe Rabbi Yossi's split second is in the middle of Rabbi Yossi's Yehuda's period. Which means if you go to the mikvah during Rabbi Yehuda's period of Banashmashot, you may already be after nighttime and you have to wait another 24 hours. So Kamash Malan, So what Shmuel is teaching us is that Rabbi Yehuda's Banashmashot is completed and then Rabbi Yossi's half second comes. Okay. Next halacha. From Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan, Halacha Rabbi Yehuda leinyan Shabbat. We take Rabbi Yehuda's position when it comes to Shabbat. Halacha Rabbi Yosi leinyan Truma, and we follow Rabbi Yosi when it comes to Truma. This is what I mentioned at the beginning that the issue of Eneshmashot is not limited to Shabbat. We saw that with Zavim, and now we see it with Tahara in general when it comes to Truma. Says a beast of Halacha Rabbi Yehuda leinyan Shabbat lechumra. We understand Rabbi Yehuda that we're taking his position, l'chumra, which means certainly we have to stop doing malacha before sunset on Friday, but it means that we have to carry Shabbat later until we're certainly out of Shabbat on Saturday night, whereas according to Rabbi Nechem, it would be shorter. And according to Biosi, on Friday night, you could do malacha much later uh, for 10 minutes or so after sunset, according to this. We have to see what sunset means, not so clear. And that we're going to deal with in the second or third shiur. Um, what is this application for Truma? You can't go to the mikvah during Rabbi Yossi, before Rabbi Yossi's Ben Hashmashot because that might be already nighttime according to others. You can't eat Truma until you have to wait till all the Ben Hashmashot of Rabbi Yossi is done and then a second later Rabbi Yossi's is done. It's a difference of a second but we do rule that way. Now let's get back to Definition of Minash Mashot. And you'll see something very interesting because we have a Brita. We have three opinions in the Brita. Rabbi Yudam and Chemya Rabbi We saw Shmuel's analysis of the Brita and adjusting the language of the Brita. And yet, I'm Rabbi Yudam and Shmuel, Kochav Echad Yom, Shnaim Benash Mashot, Toshat Laila, a whole different take. Not a take of time, not a take of the color of the sky, but a take based on the amount of stars. One star is daytime, two stars is Mashot, three stars is night. Tanya Meachri, we have a Brita that supports that, which is Kochav Echad Yom Eshtayim Benesh Mashot Shlosha Laila. Now, I'm Rabbi Yossi, he comes, and Rabbi Yossi, remember who said Benesh Mashot is a half, a split second, says, Lo Kochavim Gdolim Manuim Bayom. The stars that we mean are not big stars that can be seen during the day, like the sun. Not tiny ones that can only be seen when it's fully night. Average-sized stars. Okay? And now we have... that. So that's coming back and giving us a whole other definition of Ben Hashmashot that's not based on time and not based on the color of the sky, but rather based on the amount of stars. And one last piece that we have that relates to the issue of how do we treat Ben Hashmashot? Everything that we've done until now 
with the exception of the uh, of the Zav issue, but everything we've done until now about Shabbat has always been uh, uh, ab initio, meaning lachatchila. What are you allowed to do? I take uh, maser. I take demai. Here we're going to talk about liability. So let's keep in mind um, that if you do malacha, and this is a sugyan masachet kretot, if you do malacha during ben hashmashot, this is a classic case of an asham talui. Remember, an asham talui is a korban that you bring when you're not sure if you're liable for a chatat. Like there were two pieces of meat on the table, and you ate one, and the other one got thrown out. And you know one of them was chayla, but you don't know which one. You have to bring an asham talui. Because you might be chayav chatat. So if you did malacha ben hashmashot, then you would have to bring an asham talui. He said if you did malacha during shnei ben hashmashot, meaning I did it Friday night and Saturday night, chayav chatat of shach. Now this is complex, and it has to do with a lot of other issues which have to do with, is it the same malacha? Did, did you do a kashiur each time, or only to combine as a shiur? Were you aware of the issue in the middle so that there's a hefsek yediyah? All sorts of really complex issues with shogeg here, but we'll leave this particular part alone. Amar le rabbi, rava l'shamei, rava told his servant a practical piece, you are not familiar with the rabbinic measures when you see the sun is over the trees, then you should light candles. says, so what do you do on a cloudy day? In the city, you'll see a chicken. Or in the field, you'll see ravens. Okay, so certain signs that you can see that sunset is about to come. And that's our sugya in the Bavli. And just to, to summarize it, we started out with a brighta that gave us a definition of how we treat Ben Hashmashot, and three opinions about when Ben Hashmashot is. We talked about the implication of Ben Hashmashot being Safek Yom and Laila for Zav. Then we talked about the problem about the sky going silver, and we had two different versions of Shmuel's fix to that. And then we saw that uh, that, that played out in the same two Chachamim, Rabban and Rav Yosef, disagreeing about whether Ben Hashmashot was 12 minutes or 13 and a half minutes, and the way the Gemara understands it is they both agree on the end point. The question is, do you start at sunset or a minute and a half after sunset, because that's still day for that period. Uh, then we saw that Abaye and Rava have this interaction, which went one way or the other. Either way, we ended up with the result that the horizon we're talking about is not the, east, the eastern, but rather the western horizon being red or then going silver. And then we saw um, some practical applications uh, about uh, how we adjust Rabbi Yossi's Ben Hashmashot and when we practice like that for Truma. And we saw Shmuel's halacha, that one star that Rabbi Yossi defines as the kind of stars that are only that are seen at night, but not only at night, meaning their medium brightness, uh, is still day. Two is Ben Hashmashot, three is Laila. And uh, then the halacha about doing malacha, Mishnei Ben Hashmashot. All right, we have a few minutes to go. I'm just going to very quickly skirt over some of the issues that are brought up in this passage in the Yerushalmi. As you can see, it's quite long and much longer than what we're going to do. But this Yerushalmi is not in Masachet Shabbat. It's in Masachet Brachot. At the beginning of Brachot, we're discussing the issue of Tzaita Kochavim. The Kriyat Shema must be said after Tzaita Kochavim. So the Gemara immediately asks, Kama Kochavim Yitzu Laila. How many stars have to be out for it to be night? And based on what we just saw, it should be three. Rabbi Yonchatz, B'Shem, Rabbi Alabar, Papa, Kochav, Echad, Vaday, Yom. One star is for sure day. Shnaim, Safek, Laila. Notice they don't call it Ben Hashmashot. Two is possibly night. Shloshav, Vaday, Laila. Three is certainly night. Okay? And now, watch this. Be'er of Shabbat, and this seems to be a bright, although it's not quoted that way. Be'er of Shabbat, Ra'a, Kochav, Echad, Ve'asam, Malacha, Patur. If it's Friday, and you saw one star, and you did Malacha, you're exempt which means we're claiming it is absolutely day. And again, the sunset is not playing a role here. Shnaim evi Hashem talui. If you saw two stars, you did Malachai, you have to bring Hashem talui. I explained that a few minutes ago. Shlosham evi chatat. If you saw three, then and you did Malachai, you have to bring a chatat. Full Shabbat. Now the flip. Motzei Shabbat, rakochav echad v'asam malachai, mevi chatat. If you only saw one star, meaning 
We're assuming this may be after sunset, but there's still there's one star out, only one star out, not the sun, and you did melacha, you have to bring a chatat, full Shabbat, shnai mevi Hashem taluf, two, it's Hashem talui, shloshah patur, then you're patur because it's already motzei Shabbat. And we'll skip the smaller material, um, which goes into some of the details I mentioned earlier about how much you did on Friday and Shabbat and Saturday night. How did the Taimah So this is what we saw Rabbi Yossi and the Bible say these are talking about these kind of stars that don't typically shine during the day. The ones that shine during the day that you see during the day we don't use to measure. Uh, parenthetically, it's important that they that they un, that they referred to what we call the planets as stars. Also, that's going to come up in a second. So he says, as long as there's three stars besides Kochav, and Kochav probably means Venus, which of course in our sky we usually see uh, pretty frequently. Biakov de Romana Bishem Rabbi Yehuda Ben Pazi says, Kochav Achad Vadayom Shnaim Laila. So he has a different take. He says, one star is day, two stars is night. For lately, Safek, he doesn't have any time that's Safek. Everybody agrees there's some time that's Safek. So, Eatley Safek, Ben Kochav Le Kochav. So, Ben Kochav Le Kochav can be read two ways. One way is to say, if you can't tell which is a bright enough star, then you could say, well, maybe there's not two out that are that are fully nighttime, or it could be the time between one star and the next star appearing. All right, Tani. So now they quote our Brayta: "Kozman shebnei Mizrach ma'adimin zehoyom." All right, and this is by the way our Brayta, the way that a corner of Yosef Shmuel fixed it. As long as the eastern sky, and we're now going to adjust it based on Rava, the western sky is reddish. That's day. Hichsifu zeh ben Hashmashot. The minute it goes silver. Then that's Ben Hashmashot. Hishchiru, once it gets dark, Nasal Yon Tachton, the upper sky is now the same color as the lower sky. Our Bavli version of this was slightly different. Zehulayla. All right, but now notice this Brita is our Brita based on the fixed of, of Rabbi Yosef, that even after sunset, for a little bit, it's daytime. Rabbi Omer, Halavanabit Kufata, let's say it's the new moon. The minute that the sun starts to set and the moon starts to rise, that's Ben Hashmashot. So he has sunset as being Ben Hashmashot. Right, he says, no, at the end of sunset and the beginning of moonrise, Shmuel, who was known to be uh, an astronomer, says that the sun doesn't, the moon doesn't shine when the sun is setting, and it doesn't set when the when the when the sun is shining. Rishmuel bar Chia bar Yehuda, Rabbi Chanina, itchil gagal chamal shakea, adam oed brosha carmel. It should sound familiar. The minute that the sun starts to set, if you're standing on top of our carmel, v'yoreid v'tovel be'yamagadol, you go down and dip in the Mediterranean. Ve'ole, and then get out. Doesn't mean Ole go all the way up to the top. It means get out of the water. Ve'ochel bitrumato. And then you eat truma chazaka biyom taval. We know that you went to the mikveh during the day. Right? And that's, of course, we're by the way, this is different because that means that we're saying all the way up until Be'nash Mashor, it's still daytime. And now they say that's only if you go the shortcut. They knew a shortcut. But if you walk on the main road, then it doesn't work because you may have gone to the water. It's already nighttime. So what's Ben Hashmashot? Like a drop of blood sitting on the edge of a of a uh, the blade of a sword. As it splits, that's Ben Hashmashot. In other words, it's a half a second. And now we find another line. So this is the other piece of our Brita. Alright, same language. Alright, and now watch this. He says, doesn't it make sense that the end of Rabbi Nehemiah's half meal is the half second of Rabbi Yossi. I'm like, Ufana Sabra Ken. He said, Yeah, I agree. 
He disagrees. He says Rabiosi's half second is somewhere during Rabiosi's time. So every second is uh, maybe day, maybe night. And he quotes the Mishnah in Zavim. Of course, they're all dealing with the same sources. All right? And, uh, and, and we continue on. Uh, just in the interest of time, I just want to take this to uh, the next piece in the red. Uh, there's much, much more here, but I'm looking at the clock. Um, um, so if you take a look at the next statement in the red, and this is going to impact greatly on what we see next week. From which we're going to call dawn, until until the eastern sky gets light, Adam Halech Arbaat Milin. Now remember, a meal is we're talking eighteen minutes. That means you walk seventy-two minutes is that period from then to then. And then another four meal from that point until sunrise, which is telling us that it's now over two hours between dawn and sunrise. How do I know that? And they bring Psukim and bring Psukim from the from. Uh, Lot leaving stone and the Malachim, etc. And they said, based on that opinion and uh, amount of time and the distance that we know it is from stone to Tzor, etc., we go from there. I want to take you to one last thing at the bottom of the page, uh, which starts with the line Dilma. Uh, and it's just a, it's a great piece, which is very seasonal for us. Uh, Yom Atzmoh coming up. Dilma Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Rabbi Shimon Chalafta. This is, this is uh, the students of Rebbe. They're walking in the valley of Arbel, which is outside of Tveria, at dawn. They saw the first light. light. He said to him, This is how Am Yisrael is going to be redeemed. It's going to be a little bit at a time. As it gets bigger, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And then he quotes Pesukim from Megillah Esther, as we saw, we see Moshe Mordechai increase and increase in his power until finally at the end, and of course, Cain Tialanu. There's much, much, much more to say about this. Uh, we haven't even touched on the Bishonim, and we're not going to get to that for a little bit because uh, there are a couple of t- t- items in this sugya and a couple of other sugyot that we have to look at. Uh, and Yotz Hashem, next, next week, we'll spend the first part of this year doing that, and the second part of this year starting to look into the Rishonim to see how these issues are dealt with. Um, and, uh, and of course, there is the very famous position, which we associate with Rabbeinu Tam, uh, that we're going to have to look at. But in the meantime, uh, everybody should have a wonderful week, and Yotz Hashem, very soon, we should have the opportunity to actually get together and study in person.